But what does it mean that we are God's image bearers? Well, that's what I want to talk to us about today. Uh, image in itself as a word, it just means representation or, or reflection. Uh, like a, a piece of art, a, a painting, for example, represents an, an original subject. Uh, so too God has created us to reflect and to represent him. Uh, his glory and his likeness, his rule, his power, and most particularly his love. Uh, we are not God, and yet we are the closest thing to God in all of creation. Uh, when we look around at each other, we can see something of God in each other, or at least we're supposed to. It's not that we physically look like God, uh, for God is not a man, nor is God part of our creation. Uh, and yet God sees, God listens, God speaks, God thinks, God loves, and so too do we do all these things. Uh, the capacity for creativity and beauty that is in God, well, there is a kind of that in us also. And the likeness is so strong, the likeness between us and God is so strong that when God sends his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ, Jesus is able to be both fully God and fully man at exactly the same time and yet there's absolutely no contradiction. All the fullness of God dwelling in a man and a man who looked so ordinary even if what he said and what he did was far from ordinary. We are like God in a way that nothing else in all creation is. But here in Genesis chapter 1, there are two things in particular that being made in the image of God means. Uh, one is functional, we are made to rule like God. And the other is relational, we are made to relate like God and to relate to God. And really what I want to do today is I just want to introduce these two ideas to you. Uh, we're actually going to spend the next two weeks looking at them individually. Next week we'll talk about work. We'll talk about ordinary work as the way in which we rule like God. And then the week after, we'll talk about marriage, we'll talk about family as the way in which we relate like God. And so I just want to introduce these two things to us today, and then I just want to end today by asking the, the obvious question, well, how are we going? How are we as a human race going at bearing God's image to our world? And you'll see it there in the outline that you got as you came in, and it would help you to keep your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. So first of the end, we are made to rule like God. That's the most explicit thing that it means to be in the image of God in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, verse 26, man is made to rule. The fish, uh, the birds, uh, all that walk across, across the earth. Humanity is made to rule. In fact, if you remember last week, if you remember the table that we drew on days 1 to 3, God created different kingdoms. And on days four to six, God created the rulers, God created the kings for those kingdoms. And yet here we're told in verse 26 that man rules the rulers. Humanity is the king of kings, the lord of lords over all that God has made. We are the very pinnacle of creation. And so to us is given an enormous authority, but it is a delegated authority. It comes from God. And so just as a king might set up a statue in the town square, or, or even today, or we have a, an image of the queen, we have the picture of the queen on our coins, there to remind us who rules us. 
there to remind us who is our monarch. So too, God has placed in creation a visible symbol of his rule. Human beings. We rule in his name and on his behalf. And we're responsible for spreading the rule of God to all the corners of the earth. But lest you get too an exalted a view of who we are and what this means, essentially what God is doing here is creating the middle management of creation. We're the middle managers of creation. That kind of brings you down to earth fairly quickly, doesn't it? We are his deputies. We are his stewards. Our authority comes from God, but so do our orders that we are to hear and to obey. Our purpose is to see that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, to borrow the words of the Lord's Prayer. And so God also spells out how we are to do this ruling in verse 28. Uh, That we are to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. How do we rule like God? We fill the earth. We subdue it. We make it a place good for humans to live and to flourish and to survive, where creation is cared for and loved and stewarded. What God has created, last week I mentioned it's good, it's a wonderful creation, it's a beautiful creation, it's a good beginning, but it isn't the end. Creation isn't complete. Creation is unfilled and untamed, and so the command to humanity is to fill the earth and to subdue it, to complete it. Uh, In Genesis chapter 2, we'll see that that God puts the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, into a garden paradise that he has created. And he almost says to the man and woman, now go make the rest of the world like this garden. Go make the rest of the world as beautiful, as wonderful, as precious as this garden that I have made. Creation is like an unfinished project. And now to us is given the job of finishing it. To us is given an incredibly important, an incredibly significant task. Now sometimes this idea of filling and subduing, of having dominion over the earth, uh, is seen to imply that, or even justify, exploitation, or even violence towards the creation. But there is no sense of that here in this passage. This is very much a continuing of God's creative work, a loving, creative encouragement of diversity and complexity. Careful stewardship is what is implied here, not violent exploitation. But there is no escaping that the creation was made for us and for our needs. Have a look at verse 29, would you? In verse 29, God says, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. We are the lords of all creation. And so all the plants will be ours. All the plants exist in part so that they might provide us with our needs. Now you'll notice at this point that all humanity are vegetarian. Uh, Even worse, they're vegan. No animal products whatsoever is given to humanity to eat. And I don't want to offend anyone who might be vegan here today. Your lives are hard enough as it is without me making it any more difficult. 
but I, I find that a, a slightly terrifying thought that, that this is the way that God originally made us. I take great comfort in knowing this is just the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. The beginning of the story is living naked in a garden and eating fruit, but the end of the story is a, a feast of aged meats and fine wines, according to Isaiah chapter 25. Um, meat is not actually given to humanity to eat until, if those of you who know your Bibles well, when? After the story of Noah, after the flood, which I've always thought was a rather charming part of the story of Noah, uh, that Noah saves all the animals just in time for us to eat them. How wonderful. <laughs> but we are God's image bearers. We are the lords of all creation. And so part of creation's purpose is to provide for our needs as we lovingly steward it. And so there is no doubt about our place in the pecking order. There's no doubt about where we fit. We are less than God, and yet we are greater than the animals. We are greater than the plants. We are made to rule, to bear his image stamped on us. And that's the first thing that it means to be made in the image of God. But the second thing is we are also made to relate like God and to even relate to God. We are relational beings. We need people. Uh, And it's built into the very fabric of who we are. And here in Genesis 1, it's particularly built into the fabric of who we are as men and as women. Come back again to, to verse 26 and 27. And just notice for a moment, just listen to me read these verses again. Notice how God refers to himself. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they can rule, etc., etc., etc. In verse 26, God refers to himself in the plural. Uh, He talks about us, he talks about our. And then in the very next verse, in verse 27, uh, well, God refers to himself in the singular. God, his, him, he, it's all all in the singular. Uh, Within a verse of one another, God refers to himself both in the plural and in the singular, uh, which is very bad grammar, terrible grammar. Uh, it's very good theology, but it's very bad grammar. Uh, and what we're having here, what we have here is a hint of what we know is the Trinity, that our God is one God and yet he is also three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, before the beginning we know there was God, But there was also the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and there was the Word of God by which all things were made, which the rest of Scriptures remind us was in fact the Son of God, the one who had become incarnate, become the man Jesus Christ. And so it's no surprise that when God creates humanity in his image, we are like him. We are both singular and plural. We are both one and many. We are both united and diverse. We are both male and female. Adam alone, he cannot perfectly be in the image of God because he is just one. He is just singular. And Adam and Eve, well actually, even they can't be in the image of God because they are two. Uh, They're a plural. But actually, Adam and Eve together as one again. Adam and Eve married. Adam and Eve united together. Well, they can be in the image of God because they are both singular, they are one, and they are plural, they are two. Marriage has a very special place 
in all of God's plan, even right back here in the very beginning. That desire for intimacy, that desire for closeness, that desire for relationship that we have is something that God has put in us very deliberately. Something that God has made us to to want, made us to desire. Now, does this somehow mean that we have to be married in order to be in the image of God? And marriage is part of it, and marriage is certainly the beginning of it, but it's not all of it. Because the marriage of Adam and Eve, of course, also creates a family, the first family of all creation, a family from whom comes all the people of the earth, a family that we are part of. The whole human community is just one family, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And so it's as we relate to one another as family, as we love one another, as we are united together, serving one another, putting each other's needs before our own, loving our neighbour as ourselves. That's how we relate like God. That's how we show God's image to our world. That's how we represent what God's love is like to our world as we love one another. And so it's no surprise then that later on in the scriptures in 1 John chapter 4, We'll be told that when we love like God, then we are like God and we know God. Or even as John, sorry, as, as Jesus himself said in John thirteen thirty five, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We relate like God by loving. And by loving we bear God's image to the world. Love is the second way that we bear God's image. It's the second thing that it means to be made in the image of God. But just to reflect on me with a moment for how deeply interconnected these two ideas are. How do we rule? Well, we fill, we, sub, we subdue, we multiply. And how do we multiply? Well, it's as we relate, as we marry, as we form families, as we form communities. The two are, are so deeply, deeply interconnected. And this is going to become very important in a couple of weeks' time because uh, when we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we will discover the first thing in all of God's creation that is not good. We will find that Adam is alone before the creation of Eve. And it's very easy to read that and go, well, yes, of course he's alone. He hasn't got a girlfriend. He needs a wife. But that's not what it's talking about at all. It's saying Adam is alone and so he can't do the job that God has created him to do. He can't multiply, he can't fulfill uh, the mandate to to subdue and, and rule over the whole earth while he is just one man. And so he does need a wife, he does need an extra pair of hands, he does need another worker, but more importantly, he needs a wife so can he have a family. And so that from that family can become a whole human race that can bear God's image and spread God's rule. But we've got two more weeks to kind of explore all of this in detail. Uh, Today, really, that's enough, that we are made in God's image. We're made to rule like God, and we're made to relate like God. But straight away, this does tell us one important thing that we so easily forget. It does tell us that there is tremendous dignity There is tremendous status to all human beings because all human beings have been made in the image of God. There is a value to humanity that is above everything else in all of creation. And that is why God takes us so seriously. 
and cares about us so deeply. Uh, Animals in the Bible are fairly expendable, which I know can distress some of us. But when Jesus delivers a man in Mark chapter 5 from demon possession and he sends the demons into the pigs, uh, he considers that the death of a whole herd of pigs is an acceptable cost for the saving of one man's life. Because every human being is precious. Every human being is significant. Every human being is valuable, no matter who you are. No matter what you have accomplished. No matter your wealth, or your status, or your age, or your gender. No matter your ethnic background. No matter your physical or your mental capabilities. No matter where we've been put in the human pecking order that we so love to put people in. No matter who we are. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is deserving, is worthy of love and care. We are all, from the beginning, made in God's image. And from that comes our significance. A single human being is, you are, a greater natural wonder than all the oceans and all the mountains and all the birds and all the fish and all the stars. C.S. Lewis once said that your neighbour is the holiest object presented to your senses. Right now, you are sitting next to people, people who, apart from the Lord Jesus and the Scriptures themselves, they speak more eloquently about God than anything else in all of creation. There is nothing more precious to God in all of our universe than human beings. We are his joy, we are his crown, and we are his glory. And we need to remember that. And we need to treat each other like that. When you get on the bus tomorrow to go to work or to go to uni, you need to treat people as they are. Precious to God, made in his image. When you're buying your groceries and you're standing in the queue and it's a little slow and you're getting frustrated with the person behind the checkout, remember who they are. Precious to God, made in his image. In fact, the whole way that we relate to each other in every circumstance in life needs to begin with the inherent and undeniable value of every human being. This guides our attitude towards the very youngest amongst us, no matter how young they are. This guides our attitude towards the very oldest amongst us, no matter how old they are or how sick they are. This guides our attitude towards both the the humblest and the mightiest amongst us. We are all made in God's image. And in this... We who claim to be God's people need to shine brightly as stars in a world that is becoming increasingly dark. Because knowing all of this, having heard all of this, there is an obvious question to ask, isn't there? How are we going at it? How are we as humanity, how are we collectively going at at bearing God's image in our world? How are we collectively going at, at ruling our world like God? How are we collectively going at at relating to each other and relating to our world in love like God? Are we wonderful 
or are we terrible? And the answer is that we're wonderfully terrible and terribly wonderful. We have such capacity as human beings. We have such ability. And yet how do we choose to use them? How do we choose to use our abilities to treat each other and to treat our world? Well, the evidence is all around us, isn't it? Week after week after week. Very quickly, by Genesis chapter 3, humanity decided that they did not want to rule the world in God's image anymore, but would rather rule the world in their own image. And so no longer does humanity represent God's rule, spreading God's rule, spreading God's order to all the corners of the earth. Now we use the very great authority and very great power that is ours by creation to instead spread the rebellion against God to all the corners of our creation. As people, we still have the ability to relate to God. We still have the ability to worship, to to reverence. We still have the ability to, to think about eternity, to ask questions that are beyond ourselves. God's image is still in people, but it's so damaged by the fall. We are creatures now still with great dignity, and yet also with very serious degradation. And therefore, nobody reflects God as they ought. Nobody truly reflects God as we were made to or as we ought to. Nobody, that is, except the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us of that, doesn't it? In verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Same word, same idea. He is the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the perfect image of God in the way that we ought to be and yet are not. And that was always God's plan from the very beginning. Because being in the image of God and ruling over God's creation, they've always belonged together. Uh, In the very next verse in Colossians 1, verse 16, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus was always meant to be the one who would rule our world in the image of God. Right now there is... And there forever will be a human being ruling over our world in the perfect image of God. And his name is Jesus. And he is the one who is able to take us in all of our brokenness, in all of our degradation, in all of our fallenness. And he's able to rescue us. He's able to redeem us. He's able to renew us and to remake us in the image of God. Because when you come to the Lord Jesus and when we first put our faith in him, not only does he forgive us our sin, not only does he forgive us all that we have done wrong, all the ways in which we have failed to live up to the image of God we were made to be, he cleanses us, he washes us and he begins to change us. He begins to remake us in his image, the perfect image of God, what we were always meant to be. He begins to shape us and to teach us how, again, we might rule like God 
and relate like God. And let me say, life will never be understandable. It will, it will, life will never make sense to you until you realize this, until you realize, until you accept that we are all but broken mirrors, broken images of God who can only be whole again when we are remade in the perfect image of Jesus. Only then does life begin to make sense. Before we can be stewards of God's world, we must first surrender to God's King and let him make us new. Christianity is not a a green movement, but a grace movement. Yes, we care for our worlds. We were made to care for our world. That's not unimportant. But the last words of God to us are not Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Keep multiplying and fill the creation. His final words to us are Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples. With the coming of Jesus, a new priority emerges. A new way of multiplying emerges. A new way of multiplying the image of God in Jesus Christ in our worlds. That of evangelism, that of discipleship, that of of church, that of spreading the word of God and the message of Jesus Christ to all of the four corners of our worlds. And it doesn't replace the creation mandate. Marriage, work, family, these are all still important. These are all still important parts of our life and we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about them. But the making of disciples is arguably even more important. And it's certainly more urgent. And we all have a different part in that as well, a part in accordance with the gifts that God has given each and every one of us. And so now more than ever before, the most important thing that we can do in our world is to bear the image of Christ and to speak of him whose image that we bear in our workplaces, at our university, in our schools, in our families, with our friends, and pray that all those around us might listen to God's King and let him restore them to God's image as well. Let's pray. Father, you have made us to bear your image to the world. And yet, Lord, we know that we have failed to do that. We know that there are times where we have sought to remake this world in our image, not in yours. We know there are times where we have rebelled against you. And, Lord, we are sorry for those times and we repent. And Lord, we thank you that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his death and resurrection, you have promised us forgiveness. Forgiveness for all of our brokenness, forgiveness for all of our degradation, forgiveness for all of those times where we have failed to rule like you and to relate like you. Lord, we pray. Keep doing your work in us. Keep doing your work in us by the Spirit of remaking us into the image of Jesus Christ. 
the one true perfect image. And Lord, give us opportunity. There are people all around us, friends, family, people that we love dearly who need to know about this, whose lives need to be remade, who need to know the hope and the joy and the meaning and the the significance and the purpose that comes when you let the Spirit remake you, when you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus and let him change you.